you, Zach. Thank you, Pam. And good morning, everyone. Uh, Zach and his prayer referenced, uh, we got some pretty devastating news as a family. Becky's sister has brain cancer, and uh, we are going to be traveling in. We were supposed to be having a week of fun on the lake with some of my, fam- my side of the family, and we're going to be heading to St. Louis for a major surgery on Friday. So I'd appreciate your prayers in that. Um, and be praying for Zach's mom, too. I know she's still recovering, right, Zach? She's still in the hospital, I believe. Still in ICU, still critical. So keep, keep lots of these things in your, in your mind and your prayers. All right, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke 17 this morning. Luke 17, the coming of the kingdom. Um, if I were to give you a card and ask you to write down top three things that Jesus' teaching was all about, three things he taught regularly on, I would hope one of those three would be the kingdom of God. Because Jesus talks about the kingdom of God frequently. He references the kingdom of God frequently. It was a topic that was regularly on his lips and in his mind and heart. And uh, here in this passage today, we're going to look at him address two questions. But spoiler alert, I'm not going to get all the way through the passage. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'll probably get roughly halfway. That's where I got in the first service. I had very lofty goals of finishing 17 today, but as, it all, as always, I just couldn't quite make it to the end. So um, He's going to address first the Pharisees. They're going to ask a question about the kingdom of God. Their question is going to be, when? When's it going to happen? When's the kingdom of God going to come? So that's, that's the wrong question. We're going to see that in just a minute. Jesus is going to answer that. And then he turns to his disciples and he addresses them. And their question is not so much when, but where is the kingdom of God? Is it going to be in Jerusalem? Is it going to be in Rome? Are you going to topple the government there? Where is the kingdom going to be? Again, wrong question about the kingdom of God. And Jesus will address that as well. We'll probably get about halfway through this. But um, before we dive into this too deep, though, I want to clarify one thing. Those of you who have an ESV or an NIV or a lot of different translations like that, if you'll look in 17, you will see verse 35, and then it goes to 37. And it's footnoted in the bottom. And you may be thinking, oh no, they're taking parts of the Bible out. It's not what's happening here. Some of our best scholars are taking the oldest, best manuscripts and putting it in there. Uh, or they were, this, that passage was not in there, and so they footnoted it in the bottom. Now, before you freak out too much, let me say this. The Gospel of Matthew records that verse, and it is in the oldest and best manuscripts from Matthew. So I think it's the same conversation. It's just who recorded exactly what. I think Jesus did actually say that. So when I read this in context, I will read that verse you know, that, that has been footnoted in your ESV. And I do think Jesus said those words because it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Plus, there's nothing in that verse that contradicts or changes the meaning or the context of this section of Scripture. All right, with that in mind, let's now turn our attention to Matthew or to Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, 
The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and the lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation, just as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be in the days of the Son of Man. There will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on that day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and one left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and one will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and one will be left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. Amen. May God have blessing in the reading of his holy, inerrant, infallible word. You know, holy is self explanatory, set apart, unique, different, infallible, it is not containing falsehoods. Inerrant, it does not contain error, right? Because the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God, say it with me, the word of our God endures forever. All right. There's a man coming round. There's a man coming round taking names. And he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody will be treated all the same. There's a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. Anybody know who that theologian is? It's Johnny Cash. That's right. It's that great theologian, Johnny Cash. You ever heard that song? When the man comes around? So it's a... It's a song he wrote in his 2002 album that showed how God was working in the life of Johnny Cash as he was nearing home before the Lord took him. And uh, he is now with the Lord, as best I can tell. There was an interesting interview with him about his faith. They were trying to pin him down in a denomination. He wouldn't do it. He said, I'm a, I'm a disciple of the one true and living God incarnate, Jesus Christ, the son of David who has been grafted in to the new covenant and that reporter looked all strange at him he said basically i'm a christian just didn't quite get it you know he's trying to keep him from from pinning him down 
Johnny Cash here in sort of a cryptic way talking about the return of Christ and the end of all things. I want to tell you something as a pastor that I've observed 20 years of ministry. I have to stand over caskets about three to four times a year when people have died. And if you had to do this job, you would see this as well. What happens is when people are faced with last things, the true nature of their heart comes out. The true desire of their heart comes out right at the end. And in this passage today, Jesus is making reference to that. This is a study in what they call eschatology, which is the study of last things. This is, a, this is about the coming of the kingdom. So let's, let's dive into this and understand this a little more. Uh, first of all, we remember the context here. Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem. He set His face towards Jerusalem. I love preaching through this gospel in context so we can build on the previous Sunday that we are in this passage and we're moving here. He is heading towards the cross, right? And in this, and in this movement towards the cross, He is seeing here and in, in, in telling us here what is awaiting him? Suffering and death in this passage. He knows that, and he is, he is committed to that anyway. And while he's on this journey, the Pharisees ask him a question. And it's the wrong question, but the question is, when, Lord, when is the kingdom of God going to come? When is this going to finally happen? When is the day that's been written about by the prophets of old going to be here? And they've got the wrong question. Instead of asking when, they should have been asking who. Who is ushering in the kingdom of God? And in this passage, we're learning it is Jesus who is the kingdom of God. He is the new covenant. He is the one who is bringing it about. You see, they've got the wrong criteria. They're looking for observations around them. All right, I'm going I'm to say some stuff here this morning that needs to be said because as I have lived on this earth and been in ministry 20 years, it's been a problem. And it's this. There's nothing wrong with studying prophecy. The Bible puts prophecy in the Bible. It should be studied. It's an important thing. But prophecy is not the main thing. It's not the main thing. The cross and the gospel is the main thing. The cross and the gospel is the main thing. Pharisees are fixated on when. There's a lot of people today who are fixated on that same question, and it's the wrong question. You know, we see in Matthew, Jesus tells us that nobody knows the day and nobody knows the time. And in the last 200 years, and particularly here in North America, we have had lots of cults pop up where they have tried to answer that question that Jesus said cannot be answered. We have had even a lot of people who would, we would call conservative, Bible-believing preachers and pastors get fixated on prophecy and write very big books with lots of very colorful charts and they're trying to answer these questions of when. And they're interpreting the Bible with news headlines. And to be quite frank and pointed, it's not helpful. <laughs> it's not helpful. Because what is happening in that situation, if you're going by pharisaical understandings here, you're looking for a when, you're looking with the wrong criteria, trying to use observation to understand it, you're trying to give the wrong meaning with, this, with it being an event, and you're trying to make it an external thing. And what happens in that sort of scenario is when the, when the prophecy of Scripture becomes the main thing, guess what gets sidelined? The cross and the gospel get sidelined. 
And the prophecy becomes the main thing. And then people say silly things. Like I, had a, I knew a very well-known pastor who I listened to frequently. He said after a Sunday sermon uh, right around Christmas, he came up to him and said, just wanted you to know I am a world-renowned expert on the little horn uh, in, in the book of Daniel. This man was a lay person who didn't know Greek, didn't know Aramaic, didn't know Hebrew, and he was just self-proclaimed expert. Uh, it's silliness and it's foolishness to, to try to go after these endeavors here. And the Pharisees are on a similar path here. Um, Jesus here telling them, you know, in the last 200 here, years here, two things. One, Jesus does not want us to be preoccupied with signs. I know that we've had a lot of like things happen in the last couple years, and I've had to muddle through a lot of questions from people about when will this be? Is this the end? Right? Is this is this global pandemic the end? Is Jesus coming back right now? Is this war that's happening in Ukraine? Is this the end? Is this food shortage we're experiencing? Is this the end? You know, uh, can't get certain items, and it's inconvenience to us. Well, look what Jesus says here. Right. Let's see what he says. First of all, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs of a, to be observed, so don't be fixated on those things. Nor they say, look here, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, some of your translations may actually say here, in your midst. It can be translated either way, from Greek to English. And I would actually argue that it's probably both, Right? Now, there is a danger with it's within you. Some churches have taken that and ran with it in a very psychologized, individualistic culture like we live in, and they have just made Christianity about them. And that is an incorrect application of this text. You have to take the Bible in all of its context, or you can have a pretext for whatever you want to say. Remember what the Bible says in Ephesians. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that Christ died for the individual to do whatever they want that's what it says right or does it say that christ died for the the church right there is a collective sense in which your salvation does not just belong to you to do whatever you want to do with it but it belongs to christ first and foremost and you belong to a people now it's not just you right um, so that can be unhealthy so not only is it within you and salvation has come and Christ is reigning and ruling in your heart, but it's in your midst, right? What is a local church anyway? You ever ask that question? It certainly is not brick and mortar. I hate to hurt your feelings, but if we were to pull back some of these walls, we would probably find old cigarette packs stuffed in. You know what I'm talking about. Raymond was a mason for years. You know they chuck those cigarette packs down behind those walls. It don't matter where they're building, right? This is just a building. A local church is a flesh and blood place, corporeal. That's just a fancy word that means flesh and blood. It's a corporeal image of the kingdom of God, right? This should be a place where Jesus reigns supreme, right? Where, you know, a lot of people want to talk about democracy in the church. I don't care that much about democracy in the church. I want the church to be a theocracy, right? What does that mean? That means Jesus is king. And we do what Jesus says. You want to vote on whether or not we're going to keep the commands of Christ? Don't you think that's a little silly? <laughs> Who's running the church then? Are the people running it or is Christ running it, right? Right? So we need to be fixated on Christ and what Christ has said and what He has led and what He wants us to be focused on. So 
you know, there are times we vote on things like land and we have to make decisions. I'm not saying that that don't matter and that we don't have processes for that. We do. And those are good. But Jesus should be supreme is my point, right? Jesus should be supreme. All right. He tells them here, and he said to the disciples, so he's dealt with the Pharisees here, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. What is he saying here? Well, we feel this verse right now in 2022. If you ever lived in quarantine during this whole COVID thing, boy, you, you understand how important it is to have fellowship. One theologian posed a question once. I thought it was very interesting. He said, what would you rather have, Christian? Would you rather have one day with Jesus face to face where you could touch him, feel him, see him? You could even smell him. He was standing physically right in front of you. Or would you rather have the rest of your life with the Holy Spirit with you at all moments? And, and the reason you're groaning right now is because you have a deep-seated desire to be in the physical presence of Jesus if you love him. You do, don't you? Don't you feel that pull? You feel that pull. What's Jesus saying here? He's telling us here, there's going to be a day coming when all his followers will desire to be with him physically, but they can't be. They'll have the Holy Spirit there, but he, but he will not physically be with them in the sense that he is now in this particular passage. And then we have this very interesting title he uses. He says... Son of man, this should, this should tip us off here, right? This is an important thing. If you're a highlighter or an underliner in the Bible, you should underline or highlight this because he uses it here in verse 22, he uses it here in 24, and he uses it on down as he continues here in this passage. Um, we have seen this passage before in the Old Testament. If you're an Old Testament scholar and reader and you're going through the Bible with us, you know we come across this multiple times in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel using this title saying, you know, I'm you know, making it of himself. But if that's all we had, the significance of this title and Jesus using this title on himself wouldn't really make sense to us. It wouldn't really be all that, you know, epic or all that, you know, Christological or would not be all that um, helpful in understanding who Jesus is. And remember, one of the main things Luke is trying to do in this passage is tell us who Jesus is. We see it in another spot, though. That other spot in the Old Testament, we see this title, Son of Man, is Daniel chapter 7. How many of you have read Daniel chapter 7? Verse 13, we see him talking about a... And he's, Daniel is given a glimpse of the end times. He sees it from far away, right? And he tells us in there that there's a... Uh, one like the Son of Man, who is conducting all these last things that are happening there and ushering them in. And in this vision, the Son of Man here is the one who is, it's a messianic title. Jesus is saying here, I am the Messiah that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7. I'm the one who's going to usher in and bring in this kingdom here. So let's talk about this for just a minute. What, what is this kingdom here, and, and when is it coming, or how do we think about it? First of all, we learn this, the kingdom is indeed coming. In many ways, when Christ came, his first, it's, it all centers around the coming of Christ. The kingdom of God centers around that. His first coming, He ushers in the kingdom. He said in this passage, the kingdom's in your midst. It's right before you, right? Remember the Pharisees saying, when is it? They had it wrong. It's who is it? Jesus is ushering it in here. And so in the sense, it's already. But the kingdom of God is not yet. You can almost think of the kingdom of God as two phases. 
When Christ came the first time as a babe to live a sinless life with His face toward Jerusalem, it even says here in verse 25, when He's talking here in context about the kingdom of God, but first He must suffer many things and be rejected by His generation. We're going to come back to that in just a minute here. But in the first ushering in of the kingdom, Jesus is coming to die for sins. He's coming to offer grace and mercy. He is coming before us for that. But then in the second coming, it's different. And he talks about that in the latter part. So in one sense, the kingdom is already, it's not yet. There are certain aspects of the kingdom that are here. Those who have salvations. The churches are a testimony and point to the kingdom being here in our midst now. But it is not yet fully realized in a very last final way like Jesus is describing here as he's talking not only about the first time he comes and as he's there now, but the second time he'll come as well. Um, In church history and even today, there are commonly two errors when it comes to the kingdom of God and teaching and understanding about it. The first one is that, because we don't like as, as believers, we don't like living with tensions. You know, the Bible's full of biblical tensions. Who saves us, God or our free will? Yes, right? It's a beautiful tension in Scripture that's held together that's there. Well, there's a tension here with the kingdom. It's already and it's not yet. There's a phase one, a phase two. All right? And the one, one of them that is an error teaches that the kingdom of God has already happened, that the second coming of Jesus has already happened, and that Christianity for intents and purposes and the fulfillment of passages like this is over. It happened whenever Rome came in and ransacked 70 AD, and they make all kinds of arguments and reason why. I don't think so. Because Jesus says here, this is why we should reject that concept. He tells us in this passage, they're going to say, look here, look there. Right? And he says here, do not be afraid of, the, of what you see here. He goes on and explains uh, that there, it's like lightning. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from side to side, so will the Son of Man be in His day. What's he saying in that passage? When Jesus comes back in the second coming in phase two of the kingdom of God, it will be unmistakable for every human being on the planet. You're not going to need a news reporter on CNN or on Fox to shuffle his papers around and say, we're having reports now that Jesus Christ is coming back. You're not going to need that. It's going to be evident to everybody. Kind of like when those straight line winds came in a few years ago. Do you all remember that here in Elizabethan and Carter County when those straight line winds came in? Did you need a reporter to tell you the wind was blowing hard outside or could you see it with your own eyes? You could see it with your own eyes, right? In Pompeii, did they need a news reporter to say volcanic lava is destroying the city or could everyone easily see the city was being leveled? They could all see it was being leveled. It is clear to everyone who is conscious and cognitive awake, cognitively has the ability, they will understand Jesus is coming back. So it is already and it is not yet. The second error that people make is they want to live everything in the, in the second phase and say there's aspects of the kingdom you know, that none of the kingdom has come yet. That it only comes when Jesus comes in the second coming. And so their, their mentality and thinking is this. That kingdom of God thing, that, um, you know, that was all about uh, what's going to happen in the future. We can't live out the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus hasn't come in a second time to give us the power and ability to do that. That's an error because the Holy Spirit has come to help us try to do those things and live out the Sermon on the Mount. The, the thinking there is let's just muddle through somehow until the kingdom actually gets here and arrives. That's an error in thinking as well. You know, it's great that we have at our fingertips access to lots of information, but it's also dreadful in one sense. Let me give you an example. 
How many of you in here drink coffee? Raise your hand if you like coffee. Raise it. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. It's all right. All right, good. Thank you. Uh, I personally hate coffee. I think if suffering had a flavor, it would be coffee. Like, that's how badly I hate coffee. But anyway, if I wanted to, if I wanted to be a jerk, which maybe I am, I'm not sure. The Bible says it's possible, right? I could find an article that says, you know, if you drink coffee, you'll go blind. Now, everybody in this room knows. We, how many of you have ever gone blind from drinking coffee? It doesn't cause blindness. But there's so much information online, you could find an article to back that silliness that coffee makes you blind. I don't personally believe that, but it's out there, right? Now, you could also find an article that states that coffee's good for you. It helps your brain wake up and all this other stuff. Yeah, some of you are shaking your head. We know those articles, Pastor. We've read them, right? We are justifying our habit and addictions, right? Leave us where we are, right? We could go back and forth and we could live in this echo chamber of coffee makes you blind and coffee's good for you. And we only listen to the people that are in that same circle and it's not really helpful, is it? Right? It wouldn't be helpful to just live there. Praise God we have the truth of the word to help us out of echo chambers, right? All right, so we've seen the kingdom is already not yet. We have seen that... uh, it is here and that it will come in sort of a two-phase plan of God that the Old Testament look forward to this, the mystery of the kingdom, that you know Daniel and some of those guys, they're seeing the kingdom of God, kind of like we would view a football season. Those of you who are Vol fans and we won it all, we had a perfect season in 98, I'm still holding to that. And uh, you know that was seen as one season. But it was full of multiple events. In the Old Testament, like Daniel and those, those guys, they're looking at the end time and the fulfillment of the kingdom, phase one, phase two, from far away. And when you stand far away from something like that, it looks like one thing, but it's actually a series of things that happen in succession with each other. All right. With that said, let's move forward here. All right. Verse 25. But first, must, but first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Church, what is he talking about here? What's he talking about? Where's he heading? He's heading to the cross. So what's this verse about? It's about the cross, isn't it? The cross is central here to the kingdom of God. Here's one of the things we must see very clearly in this passage. You have to deal with the cross first before you can have any access to the kingdom of God. You have either accepted it or rejected it. If you're not sure, then you live on the outside and have rejected it. It says here, he must suffer many things, the beating, and it says here, the, the crucifixion, and be rejected by this generation. I don't know why people make so much money selling a gospel that tells us that if we'll just follow Jesus, things will be easy and you'll be wealthy, and you'll be healthy. When Jesus tells us here, this is what he got in his generation, why would his followers be any different, right? In fact, if we're getting all kinds of good things all the time, and your life is just kittens and puppy and Christmas every day, might be time for an examination, right? (laughs) If there's no adversity, you may not be much of a threat to the devil. Just as it was in the days of Noah... So will it be in the days of the Son of Man. All right, let's talk about Noah for just a minute here because Jesus is giving us three illustrations. I like this text because it's got three illustrations built in. 
I'm probably just going to get to the one with Noah, and uh, maybe I'll get to the one with Lot for just a minute. Noah lived in a generation and a time where God told him to build the ark. And how long did he build that thing and preach the gospel of the coming wrath of God? Over a hundred years. I want you to think about that. For a hundred years plus, you go outside every day and you work on this ark, and you're telling people the judgment of God is going to come, it's going to fall, it's going to be swift. And only those that are aboard this ship will survive. And nobody on this planet at this point had seen rain or seen rain like this ever. So what does everybody do while he's working on the ark? What are they, do you think they're accepting his message in droves? What are they doing? They ridicule him. They make fun of him. They don't believe him. They reject him and his message. Until the rain started. And then when the rain started, guess what? They all wanted in, didn't they? Let me ask you something, church. You answer this question. When the judgment of God fell in Noah's day, were most people saved unto life or were most people judged unto death? They were judged unto death. Now, there's another illustration here. Look what it says here. It says, In Noah's day they were marrying and just living their life day to day. Likewise, as it is in the days of Lot, who was Lot? Father Abraham's nephew. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. You know, by the way, I went to the flea market yesterday because I love going to the flea market. And I was thinking about this passage in the back of my mind. I like to wheel and deal and haggle. I was after a new reel for a fishing rod that I may or may not get to use this spring. And uh, a reel. And I was walking by and I was hearing all these people. I'll give you 20. I can't do 20. I'll do, you know, I can do 15. All right. Uh, 17.50. Deal. Right. I was just hearing these people haggle. And I was thinking about this passage as I was walking by in these booths and people were haggling deals. And I thought, Jesus could come back right now while I'm at the flea market in my sweatpants. Like this could happen right now. <laughs> you know, there is nothing that prevents Jesus from coming back immediately, right? Look what it says here, back to Lot. It says, in Lot's day, they're, they're drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. On the day when the Lord went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. Now let's think about this story for just a minute. Who did God send to warn, to warn Lot that Sodom and Gomorrah, his home, was about to be destroyed? Who did he send? He sent angels to warn them. They got to sit down and have dinner with an angel from heaven, and the angel from heaven instructs them and tells them, you've got to flee this city. This whole thing's coming to an end. Every inch of this is going to be leveled by God. And Lot's wife is mentioned specifically here by Jesus. Notice here, does she have a name? She doesn't, does she? That's weird, isn't it? Remember the rich man didn't have a name. Judgment fell on him. Lot's wife doesn't have a name. Judgment falls on her. It always seemed odd that she got judged. The angel told him to run away, not look back. And Lot's wife looks back and she is killed. How many were saved from Sodom and Gomorrah, church? Was most people from Sodom and Gomorrah saved or was it a few? It was only a few, wasn't it? Think about this. He goes on to bring more clarity to this coming judgment. So it will be in the day of the Son of Man is revealed. Talking about phase two of the kingdom of God. Verse 31, more clarity on it. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop. Now, 
for us as 21st century Americans, most of us don't live this way, but in ancient Near East, they'd build their homes. The roof area was almost like a patio where you would go, relax, have parties, gatherings, whatever, on your rooftop. It was a little cooler up there. Uh, it was a little better. They didn't have backyards like we do now. And when you do a surface level reading of this, you may be tempted to read it and think this is about time, that there's not going to be enough time to go down and grab whatever. That's not what Jesus is referencing here. Jesus is not referencing the issue of time. He's, issuing, he's referencing the issue of where's your heart's desire. It would go something like this. You're on the rooftop. You see the Lord coming back. It's unmistakable. Like a lightning storm. Everybody sees it. Lord, before I go, let me just grab fill in the blank. Whatever it is. Fill in the blank. Right? We see this reiterated here in the next section. Um, uh, he says here, with his goods in the household, not come and take them away. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. So he's out in the field. He's taking care of his props. The return of Christ comes. Lord, I see you're here, ready to take me. Let me grab some corn for the way up. Hang on just a minute, right? Because you've labored. You, you, the issue is your heart's desire. That's what Jesus is saying here. One of my absolute favorite hymns, in all church history, is probably the hymn by Martin Luther the Reformer, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Do you know that hymn? Raise your hand if you know that hymn. One of my favorite lines is, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. Jesus is saying, whatever you've got in this world, you better hold it with a loose hand. And understand the priority of the kingdom as first priority in your life. Because here's the reality. If you love this world and you love this life more than anything else, then you will get where this world and this life is heading. Verse 32, and this is where I ended the first service where I'm going to park it today. Remember Lot's wife. Why did Lot's wife turn to stone and receive judgment? Because they're told to run away from the destruction of this world. Run away from Sodom and Gomorrah. It is an illustration of all that will happen to everything on this planet. And Sodom and Gomorrah is being destroyed. Lot's wife realizes, my whole life is in Sodom and Gomorrah. Everything I love is back in that place. I wonder if anything will survive from the destruction of the Lord. I have to see if anything from my old life that I love will be left. And what happens? She is judged like the rest. What about you today? What do you love the most? What is it your true heart's desire? As I said earlier, my sister-in-law has an incurable brain cancer tumor probably about the size of an olive. When they were doing the biopsy, and my, my sister-in-law loves the Lord, and she has made it very clear to me, she is at peace with God's will, whatever that is, to let her live another 20 years or whatever it is. She shared with me a very interesting story yesterday. She said when she was having her biopsy done, there was a woman who was her roommate right next to her. And she was in a worse condition than Kim was. 
Her tumor was so large that it was pressing in on her brain to a point where she couldn't control the shaking of her left leg. It would just automatically shake. She will be facing death much sooner than Kim. And she had a little devotional on her table, and she, Kim said, are you a Christian? Because she didn't know the lady. They were just sharing this room at Barnes Hospital. She said, yeah, I try to be good. When I, I can be good when I can. Mm. You are inches from death. You are inches from judgment of God. And you think the gospel's about behaving yourself? You misunderstand the cross. And you misunderstand the gospel. And I said to Kim, aren't you glad that we don't have to behave ourselves and that we can just rest in the completed work of Christ on the cross? Aren't you glad that we don't have to do for this salvation, but it is freely given to us because of what Christ has done? See, this is what Jesus is doing in this, in this passage. He's pleading with us, isn't he? Don't love this world. Don't love this stuff. Don't choose this. I want you with me. I want you with me. See, there's a man. He's going around taking names, isn't he? And he decides who will be free and who to blame. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage today. Lord, as we bow before you, we need this truth today. We need this reminder in our lives. We need, we need the kingdom of God that is within us and that will come. Lord, give us the strength we need to draw close to you. Help us to seek you above all things in this world. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, is the Lord pulling your heart? Are you beginning to understand you are not made for this? You're made for something else. You're made for what is eternal. You know, I don't think dogs sit around and consider their eternity, nor do cows. Only human beings, because they're made uniquely in the image of God, and God has placed eternity in their heart. And if you feel Jesus pulling today, at you. Won't you respond? Won't you come now? Dwell in the midst of the kingdom of God that is here today. Dwell with Christ now and forever. Let's sing in response. I'll be in the back to receive you as we sing.